2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. A lot of people don't believe the gospel can change your life. We have evidence it can. Death to Life shares testimonies of radical transformation, stories of people getting freed from and healed from sin, so you can hear, believe, and be transformed by Jesus. This is Death to Life. I know you hold me down. You're kind of setting your very life story at the beginning of you were not wanted, you don't belong. I was wrecked, absolutely, hands down, sobbing in my car, like unable to function with the realization that I finally had an identity. Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young. And before we get into today's episode, I would like to tell you about the Death to Life Bible Study. And the Death to Life Bible Study is held on Monday nights. I run it with me and my bro, Elias. And what it is, is just a bunch of God-fearing saints getting together and talking about life in freedom. And we have found that there's so much growth when you gather with the saints. We do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And so if you would like to be a part of this, you don't you don't have to have your camera on. You don't have to say anything. I might ask you a question if you're new. Uh, but text hashtag death to life to the number 808-204-4372. That's hashtag death to life to 808-204-4372. And we will send you a link every time a Bible study is about to happen, which is Monday nights, probably around 7.50 Central, that's in the PM, you will get a link and you can just join us on Google Meet and it's an awesome time. So hashtag death to life to that number. It's a good time. Uh, But today's guest is my sister, Cindy. And I have known Cindy for maybe 10, nine months. 
and uh, you'll hear her story. Um, I saw her in the the congregation when I was preaching out in Asheville, North Carolina, and I thought, man, she's got a story to tell. And I was right. She does have a story to tell, and y'all are about to hear it, and you're going to be blessed by it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you anything else. I'm not going to step on the podcast. No spoilers. But the next person you'll hear is Cindy. Hear ye her. Uh, Let's get into it. Buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. I mean, I was three days old when I was taken home by my adoptive family. So I didn't know anything but the family I grew up in. But it always left me with this sense of, I really wasn't supposed to be here. You know, the pe- when the people, when your parents, right, your mom and dad who are supposed to love you and it's supposed to be this great situation, when they don't want you and choose to give you to someone else, you're kind of setting your very life story at the beginning of you were not wanted. You don't belong. Man, you can look at it that way for sure when the enemy can put it that way for sure. Were, were your natural parents substance abuse addicted to stuff or was it your adopted parents? My biological parents had some addiction. I mean, from the way that it sounded, from what I was taught growing up, there was heavy substance use. They were young. They were supposed to get married and it just didn't work out. And so they didn't feel like it was a good, a good thing to have me in their, in their lives which, you know, as an adult and as a mom now, I appreciate. But when you're growing up as a kid, like, you don't understand that. You don't get that. There's more decisions that go into it than just like, oh, you're not loved. We don't want you. Bye. So. When did you find out you were adopted? It's one of the first memories that I have. I have an adoptive sister who is biologically my adoptive parents. And she is about 15 years older than I am. And one of the first memories I have, she was at hanging out with some friends and told them that I wasn't really her sister. And that's stuck in my head. Like I was different. And as I grew up, I always kind of felt that way. Like I never felt like I I fit in. I went to a school that... I didn't really look like everyone else in my family that I grew up with. I didn't feel like everyone else. And the older I got, the more prevalent that seemed to be, that I was not where I was supposed to be. Why didn't you look like everyone else at this school? I'm from the D.C. area. And Chocolate so, City? Y- you know, it was just very ethnic. I'm very blessed. I grew up with amazing people. People from India and Jamaica and all over, uh, Uh Philippines. But yeah, I was, I think I was one of like three white kids in my class. (laughs) I knew I didn't belong. Like the other girls would talk about their hair and do their hair. And I remember this one time I came home after one of my friends in my class put Vaseline in my hair. Uh That did not go over well, Richard. My mom was not a big (laughs) fan of that. It took like days, probably even like a good week to get the Vaseline out of my hair, you know, but it's little things like that, that spoke greatly to me 
because no matter whether it was like at school or at home, I just didn't seem like I didn't feel that I was supposed to be there. So what about at home? What was a So my adoptive parents divorced. I don't even remember my dad being in the house. I think it was the summer they split the summer in between my kindergarten and first grade year. And so my mom's the single fan or uh, single parent and she didn't really have anything like growing up. She worked, she was a conference worker worker and uh, would work two and three jobs to try and make sure that I could stay in Adventist schooling and have food on the table, but she wasn't there. So I did. I felt like I was a burden to her. Like she did this great thing, adopting this baby, but yet she could never be there. And so I essentially raised myself. So it didn't feel like I had that family experience that I think all kids in in some extent want. You're, I think we've talked about this before. I think you and I are in the same high school class. If your mom and dad got divorced and she was working for the church back then, that must have been crazy difficult for her because divorce was, I mean, it was still happening, but not as much if you're working for the church. Mm-hmm. Was that, did you feel that heaviness or was that like something that she was able to keep from you? She must have kept that from me. I never felt that way or felt that other people looked at her or me that way. They seemed to be really supportive when everything went down. Cause what happened is my dad just left. He was from Texas and he just went back to Texas and he remains there to this day. So she kind of, it wasn't something that was necessarily like planned out. Not that I guess divorce ever is, but he was going to go and he was going to do something, you know, for a short period and then come back and just never came back. But I did feel like our home church supported her her through that i'm hoping that's right otherwise like that's my memory and i'll keep my good memory yeah so was your dad then no longer kind of a part of your adolescence then no not at all so they adopted another like a little girl before me and at 18 months the mom came back and decided to take her and the court granted it to her and that put a bad place my my dad and, and God were not in a good place after that, according to my dad. He left the church, and I think that really aided in the friction, because here my mom works for the General Conference, and he doesn't want any part of it. So that's kind of what I see, but that's just my own kid view on it. As a kid, what what were your views and thoughts about God and who he was? And I love me like- some Jesus. I did. I did. I love me some Jesus. I love going to church. My grandma would always put me up on stage to like when we would visit her so that my cousins and I could sing together. I loved being part of praise and just going to Sabbath school. I loved, I love Jesus and I love church. Do you remember that old, I don't know, maybe it was just in our family, but the heritage singers and that heavens is for kids album. Do you remember that? Like, for sure, yeah. <laughs> so I remember putting that on, and there's a song about like La 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 and Esther, and I would like come down the stairs pretending I was Esther. I just, I loved it. And I had this, I feel like, or I guess it's more like looking back, this just natural 
sensitivity to all things spiritual. Like I could feel like I could feel good. That's awesome. So you're in Adventist school. Your mom mm-hmm. is working hard to keep you there, working for the church, working other jobs. You love Jesus. How, how's it going? Like you're, you're just kind of growing up in that way. You're single mom. What happened? So my mom and dad didn't even divorce until I was in the fourth grade. But by my sixth grade year, she was married. Um, I did not really care for the guy at all. I definitely made life miserable for both of them, just testing. And and I don't think it was intentional. I can't say that all the time, but just it had been my mom and I for so long, there was comfort in that. And then he came in and did not go well. Uh, but they were only married a year and a half before he died. And oh wow, yeah, I think that that, that there was something there because having this feeling that I wasn't wanted and I didn't belong. And then my adoptive dad leaving and I finally get this other dad, have him for all of like a year and a half. And then right when things are starting to get comfortable, he dies. And something switched and I was like, okay, God, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how much you want to be involved in my life. Like I don't, you know, like tap the mic, is this thing on kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And when he died, I started identifying and would tell people that I felt like I might be agnostic, like more that way. Like, yeah, God created, I don't know. How old are you in seventh grade? Jace is what? 12. So yeah, probably 12. Was his death a surprise? It, it was no, no, but it's you know it's that whole. I think we're really bad in Christianity. Pray about it. Pray about it. You know, God can answer it, and really focusing on all the things God can do, and He can do those things. But what happens when He doesn't? Especially in the mind of a child, like. So I spent so much time praying and, okay, God, you hear me and this is going to work out and everything's going to be okay. Surely you're not going to take this person from me. And he does. So working in education for a long time, middle school is like fifth through eighth grade, I think is some of the toughest. Shout out to all the middle school teachers. Because you're really like before school's great. I love school. And then something happens in the fifth grade where you're like, wait, other people don't love it. And if you (laughs) like it, then you're like, well, I can't like this. Everyone else doesn't like it. And so you're start like, and then insecurity comes in and comparison. And now in, in this day and age, don't even get me started. Just the phones are like killing these poor sweet kids comparison and and then they're sending all this crazy stuff. This sounds like the time where you're starting to figure out what you believe about yourself and what you believe about God in a different way. And that's sounds kind of scary. I mean, that's how I felt about it, I guess too, is just, I questioned, I think that's about the time when I just started questioning everything and Adults aren't always gracious to the kids that just want to know and understanding that questioning is not necessarily a bad thing. 
you know, it can be helpful. It can help in like forming those roots instead of when you approach it as a kid questioning things negatively, like, oh, they must be, you know, trying to lead everyone astray or they're going to burn the bridges and there's no hope for them. It changes the trajectory of these kids' lives. And I feel like I was, I was definitely one of those. So yeah, I, I struggled with just seeing, seeing what was being, what at least my view of what was being taught and what I was experiencing was completely different than what the Bible had said, like, to my knowledge. And that really, really was a struggle and continued to be a struggle throughout, throughout Academy. I remember, though, then my junior year going to prayer conference at Andrews, and they had this, like, cross with these lights, and it really spoke. Something moved inside of me. I was moved to tears, and I just remember standing there crying, and it was cold, and, like, I had it wrong and I was taken care of and I, I had, I was loved and everything that I had questioned up until that point, like I had the wrong view of it. Hmm. But then the summer in between my junior and senior year, I actually worked at, at Six Flags, was exposed to a bunch of stuff because I had lived in an Adventist bu bubble for my like entire hmm. life up until that point. And I came back to Academy and I was like questioning what I was taught versus what the Bible says and what the world out there says and how does it all situate it. And I actually got kicked out of our campus ministries drama team for questioning who God was and what it all what meant. What were the main questions? Like what were you bringing up? You know, I wish I could remember. I feel like that would be an important thing to remember. And I don't. I think it had to do with the existence of who God is. Like, not maybe his existence, but what what does he play? Like, what, what role in our lives? Because I was hanging out with all these, like, pothead kids, I guess. And, you know, they were like so philosophical and the meaning of life and listening to Grateful Dead and everything else and had all sorts of questions about the way the world worked. Your first job, I don't know if that was your first job. My first job introduced me to this idea that not villains in, in movies, they're not the only people that do drugs. I was like, oh, everybody does drugs. Like, like my managers here, they're they're doing drugs. The people that are my age, they're doing drugs. I worked at a pizza place, so maybe that's more friendly to <laughs> drug use. Um, but I was like, oh, shoot, everybody's high all the time. Like they're coming to work high? How can they come to work high? Like I didn't understand it because I lived in the Adventist bubble as well. And my eyes were open and I was, I was a goody-goody, so I was freaked out. I was like, oh, man. What will my parents think about all this? And when you work at Six Flags, you're, you're seeing a there's a whole other world out there that exists that you didn't really have an idea about. And, right. Uh, they they sound really smart. I mean, they did. I don't know about smart. Like there are some things that you know weren't exactly smart, but it was like they had access to something I didn't have. You know, these kids that are in in 
public school or, you know, whatever. And it's like, they know stuff, they have a knowledge. I didn't know anything. Like I was so guarded and so like in the like little protection, you you know, all the things that you don't talk about. You don't talk about drugs. You don't talk about sex. You don't talk about those things. And And so it just was a lot. It was a lot to try and take in. Like, am I missing something? Like, because what's being said out there is not what I'm being taught. Kind of like the same thing, like what you're saying is that I'm being exposed to these people who are doing all sorts of substances, but yet they're kind, nice, cool kids. Mm -hmm. And that's not the little bit of information I had. That's not what was ever project it or like, you know, what I would have thought. Yeah. It's the bad people that do drugs. And I remember my assistant manager at Papa John's on state line road, her name was Simone (laughs) and she must've been like 22 or 23 and I'm 17 and she was dating the manager and she was super cool and she treated everyone really nicely. And then she started talking about her and the manager smoking pot. And I was like, you guys, even you guys do it. (laughs) And I was just like shocked. I'm like, but you guys are like really nice people. And like marijuana was not legal in Missouri back then. This was still kind of like frowned upon, but they were like, Oh yeah. And everyone did it. And so I was shook that nice people were also doing drugs. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of, that's how it kind of stays. Like the people that you don't think, looking back, the people that I wouldn't think would get me into trouble were exactly the people who would get me into trouble. So, you know, it's just very interesting sometimes how life, life works out. But part of it is that to kind of go back just a little bit is I really wanted a place to belong, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of already been established. And I... I ended up my last two years at Highland View Academy and I really wanted to be part of that group on campus that led the songs and that would, that just like was connected to the spiritual Mm -hmm. life of the school. And I ended up running for a student association office of some sort and I lost. And Mm -hmm. it was very, uh, very tearful for me, very sad because nobody likes to lose And I actually had the guidance counselor there tell me that I was never going to be one of those kids. I was never going to be. What do you mean? Like you're never going to be a winner or you're never going to be. Well, the way I took it, I wasn't going to be one of those religious kids. I wasn't going to be the one that people looked at as like, spiritually mature or connected to God, like that there was going to be like, I wasn't, that's not who I was. They were able to see into my soul and figure out that I wasn't a good kid. How old was this person that said this to you? Older. I don't know. They weren't like a young staff. No, not, it was an older staff member, not someone like not a task force worker that you'd be like, okay, well, they were young and dumb too. They probably shouldn't have said it. No, it was definitely someone who was older and knew better. And so they're like, you're not going to be this thing that you, that you're trying to be like, that's not who you are. Right. And so remember, I'm struggling trying to figure out, okay, God, where his place is in all of this. Mm. 
And then I have like this, okay, well, maybe this is who I want to be. Maybe, you know, this whole good group of people, the the God group is going to work out for me and it's going to be a safe place for me. He said that. And then it was, I can't remember how it fell. I think that was actually going into my junior year, junior year of the spiritual experience at Andrews. Then I work at a place who's opening my eyes to the world. And I'm feeling like I honestly, I felt like I'd been lied to like my entire life, like that I've missed out on something because what the, what I was taught or what I was, I perceived to be taught was not the way that world actually ran. Come back for my senior year, get kicked out of a spiritual group for trying to figure out like what it all means just to be able to, again, prove, I guess I wasn't going to be a good kid. So I've been told now for like the last, you know, three, four years that I'm not going to be a good kid. Richard, what do you think happened? (laughs) This is what you say then. You say, and excuse my language, you say, F it. I guess I'm going to be what they think I am. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. That's so sad. So, yeah, I senior year was fun. Like I almost didn't get to walk because I ended up getting my tongue pierced and, oh my goodness, that was horrible, you know, and there were all sorts of fun things. When did, when you made that decision, you were just like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live exactly how I want to live and feel like live how I want, how I feel or whatever. Was it scary? Like, I don't imagine the first piercing was a a tongue piercing or like, I don't imagine your first, like, did you just go headlong into just whatever? I mean, it was kind of just, yeah, like, all right, let's do this thing. If this is who I am, this must be my truth. I'm, I'm committing to it. Hmm. Uh, So I didn't even, and it continued, it continued through oh my goodness, early 20s, where I just felt like, okay, this this must be who I am. And I put myself into multiple compromising positions. And I don't live with regret. I don't have regret for really mm-hmm. anything that I've done. But I look back and I would love to be able to tell that chick, like, girl, like, this is not who you are. Like, mm. snap out of it. How did living like this, how did it make you feel? Did you feel better? Were you feeling like alive? I don't think I felt anything at all. Like when things would happen, happen, I won't say to me, but when I put myself in compromising positions and things would happen, it was just going to be like, okay, I guess this is, I guess this is who I am. It further put this idea in my head that this is who I am. And Mm. I was, I thought of this label that I had been given and it just seemed appropriate for the label that I thought I wore. Hmm. You know, when you wear a scarlet letter. You're just being yourself. You're exactly. Do you feel guilty for the things that you do that would have given you the scarlet letter? No, because it's who you are. That's what people expect from you. After high school, did you go to Adventist college? I did. I did. <laughs> Sounds like it was awesome. Um, well, uh, oh, now I remember some of your story. Well, um, I wanted to go to the University of Maryland, and my mom said, "No, you have to go to an Adventist school so you can meet an Adventist husband." You know, Richard, I spent 
three years in an Adventist school and never once dated an Adventist. So take that, mom. <laughs> and I think you were at, if I remember the story correctly, uh, you were at the same school that one Jonathan Seventh-day Sabbath Leonardo was at. Yes, I was. Mm -hmm. And maybe you and him were at the same Red Cup parties, but neither of you were preaching gospel to each other at this time. No, I do not remember the gospel being involved at any of those parties. And I, I do not want to incriminate Jonathan. I'm not quite sure that we were there, but it, but some of his stories have popped up vague memories within the back of my brain. So yes, it is quite possible. Yeah, I think he got there in 2000. I think he was either two classes ahead of me or one class ahead of me, either 2000 or 2001. So, so when you're at this school, did you come in and you were just like kind of resentful and bitter towards just Adventism and the whole God thing? Or what was your mindset going in? I just wanted to have fun, or at least that's what I thought. Like I was not there. I was going to live my best life regardless if I was in an Adventist school or not. And so I even think my freshman year in the little face. Huh, Facebook. That's not what they were called. What was it? Like mug shots or whatever? Yeah, the Union was called the, the Peanut Gallery. It's just the different, the book that we all, they're all online now, I bet. Um, but the book Ooh. that we flip through to, to, no, like in schools now, I bet Union doesn't, or Southwestern oh. doesn't print one out. But yeah, the Facebook. Yeah. That's how it started, right? I, I'm pretty sure that's how it was. And my little thing, my freshman year was, where's the party at, right? Well, part of that is based on a song, you know, which song I'm sure, you know, Jagged Anyways, Edge. It, so. <laughs> for all of my millennials, that was a great song. Yeah. You know, just wanted to be out there because again, senior year, I committed to this idea. I was going to carry it through. I don't think I ever felt comfortable in it, but I really tried hard to like, this is who I am now. Yeah, it just kept, kept going that way. Like where I could find the party, wherever I could find the ability to, I guess, honestly, not feel what I had been feeling. What was your reputation, do you think? Because this is oh, a I'm small school. Yeah. No, I'm sure it ended up being horrible by the last year. Because, again, I put myself in a compromising position. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of that was based on alcohol, you know, lowering inhibitions. There you go. Yeah. And so I'm... I'm sure that it wasn't necessarily the best and there's probably equal truth to, to lies, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, um, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best, but I was just telling, um, Matt, I was trying to remember when it was, but I remember the girls Dean pulling me aside and actually she was probably the first person who ever spoke truth over me. And she, brought me into her office and had me sit down because I didn't sh show up back for check one night. And she told me, this is not who you are. I did not have a relationship with this woman. Hmm. I did not know her at all. I couldn't even tell you what her name is. Mm -hmm. And yet I remember her telling me, this is not you. Hmm. And you're like, I beg to differ. This is me. Or were you like hoping maybe she was right? I think I was hoping she was maybe right. Hmm. Did you, uh, did you graduate from uh, Southwestern? What ended no. up happening? So I ended up going 
home finally after three years. And my last year at Southwestern, I was pretty, pretty miserable. I left there in 2003. After graduation, never looked back, haven't really been to Texas since, no desire to either. And came home to Maryland and got my nursing degree from the University of Maryland. So how was life? What, what, was, what was next? At home, it wasn't really a whole lot different than what it was at Southwestern. Still a lot of lost Adventist kids just trying to figure it out and kind of bucking the system and yeah, trying to figure, figure it out. There was a lot of, a lot of drinking still pretty much it started on Thursday, went through until like early Sunday morning. Cause you know, you need Sunday to recuperate so that you can actually be somewhat functional come Monday morning. How did still God, lost. Sure. How did God feel about you? in your mind at this point, if he existed? I don't remember having really any feelings towards God. I mean, in the three years that I went to Southwestern, I think I can count on one hand how many times I actually went to church. So that whole thing, like church was not a part of my life. You, we had to go to so many dorm worships. So I would do that to get my attendance points and roll out. Like it just, it wasn't, it wasn't anything coming home. My mom's rule was I had to go to church on Saturday morning. And it was not an uncommon thing for me to be out until six o'clock Saturday morning, come home, barely be able to like shower, get myself together, go to church, still intoxicated from the night before and be able to like, I'd have to lean on my mom the entire time just to be able to be in an upright position. How is she, how is she handling all of that? You know, she's never said a single thing about it. And she is one, she doesn't like conflict. She doesn't want, I don't think sometimes to look at the possibility of the, the crap of the situation. She's the one that I remember growing up, I would be like, so upset, sad, something. And she would tell me, well, you can choose to be happy. Jesus is enough to be happy. You know, like she just wants to, to always have sunshine and rainbows. So I don't know if she didn't recognize it or if she just didn't want to deal with it. So she doesn't know you're still like, she doesn't smell the alcohol on you. And if she did, she's like, ah, gotta be something like she just didn't want to deal with it in that way. Yeah. It didn't seem like it. Were you guys pretty close? You know, I thought so, but in working with a therapist in more recent years, recognizing that I only like, I wanted to have the relationship with my mom, like the Gilmore girls. Like that's what I wanted. <laughs> I did. I wanted a Lorelai and Rory kind of situation. And to the outside person, it might've seemed that way, but I never told my mom anything that could have been disappointing to her. Hmm. So there's a group of young Adventists who are, down there in, in Maryland with you and you guys are just kind of doing life and partying and uh, yeah, what happened? How'd it go? Uh, not well, continued to not go, not go well. In, when was that? Like 2003, I ended up in a relationship, not with somebody Adventist, someone that I actually met at the Six Flags and it was, it was abusive. That's mm -hmm. long and short of it. And when I came uh, back 
from where I spent Christmas with his family. It was horrible. It was not in America. I had at one point a thought that he could probably kill me and like no one would ever know it. Like I'm going to be in the Amazon somewhere or something of that nature, uh, which was pretty, yeah, it was pretty traumatic, beautiful country, just a traumatic. What country was it? Brazil. Brazil. I've been to Brazil. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Rio is beautiful, but it wasn't, we were not good for each other. We should never have been with each other to start with again, alcohol related decisions. Mm -hmm. And then when I came back, he stayed there my grandmother died. I mean, it was just a lot of, I had failed two out of my nursing, two out of what the four nursing classes I was taking that the fall semester, just a very low place. When I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking just so that I could feel something that I different than what I was currently feeling. And it led to bad places, waking up on bathroom floors and things of that nature. But through those years of being home and going out in Maryland, how many times I remember being on bar stools or even hugging a toilet and just like praying, like, God save me, Hmm. God save me. And looking in a mirror and not recognizing who I was and asking for something to change, begging for something Hmm. to change. And at times... I'd even hear this sweet little voice, your body is my temple, you know, and Adventists, I feel especially are good at using that, that phrase to condemn people, but I didn't feel condemned by it. It was more, I feel like it was a reminder, like, girl, what you doing? Yeah. You're mine. And, uh, there were a lot of bad decisions, a lot of heartbreak uh, that led me to pretty much secluding myself from all the people that I had been hanging around with because I realized that it was never going to stop unless something changed. And I actually had uh, Did my mom. Did you know you were an alcoholic? No. Were you like, yeah, this is who I am. I'm, this is, I, I am this thing. Or were Mm-mm. you like, Mm-mm. You just thought I like to drink and this is making me not worry about all this other stuff that's going on in my life. Well, everybody else around me did it too. I mean, I remember like the girl that I hung out with the most, we had been really close friends since seventh grade. And I remember looking at her one night and telling her like, I think I have a problem. And she actually told me that I didn't. And of course I was like, well, okay. (laughs) You know, okay you're a good authority on it. Like if you don't say I have a problem, surely I don't. Hmm. So, but yeah, the, the youth pastor at my mom's church at the time, I don't know what it was like. God must've put me on her heart. Something fierce asked me to help with the high schoolers. And she kind of took me under her arm and started speaking truth over me. Mm-hmm. Yes, that happened before I went to Brazil because I remember sitting at the computer and emailing her crying because my life had become so unrecognizable to myself. Hmm. Wow. And she's fantastic. I haven't spoken to her for a while, but I know that she's doing the same thing in many young people's lives to be able to accept them where they're at and just be like, okay. 
let's get you through this. So, so. you were you were helping in what so in what kind of capacity were you helping with the high school? Like she had Friday night vespers, and so I would help get food and set food out and just very basic, very basic yeah. stuff. But that stuff's important. Yeah. It was it was good because it was on a Friday night, so it kept them out of trouble, but it also kept me out of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we would go to like different events and, and things of that nature. So we did saw the feel, Wizards play. It was great. Did you feel rebellious? Were you like I did you own this like identity of like an a rebellious Adventist? Like what was your identity at this point? What are, in regards to like your social life and in relationship to the church? I don't think I ever, I still don't look at myself as necessarily being rebellious. I just don't think I've ever looked at, at Christianity the way that the majority of the people that I grew up with looked at it or were taught like, especially in the older generations, I just never, like, I saw the inconsistencies, you know, the, well, you can't wear jewelry, but you can spend three times as much on, you know, the nice little old lady brooch that takes up like half of their blouse or, you know, like you can have an expensive car, an expensive house. You can do those things. But I mean, some of the principles, sure, absolutely. I really, I really struggled with. It's like the health message. We don't eat chicken but don't look at our dessert table. Don't get me started, life. Richard. <laughs> don't get me it's started. It's the health message, not the vegetarian message, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, but that's all the whole thing. Like that's, that's what I struggled with. And I guess I was labeled to, to be rebellious because I had no issue like saying, Hey guys, this doesn't, this doesn't match up. So yeah, like I, I wanted something more than where I was living, but I wasn't sure what that was. And as I started coming back to church and like, listen, like being involved in stuff uh, with this youth pastor and going to these youth rallies and hearing, hearing promising messages, like things started changing, uh, but I never, honestly, I don't think I've ever really identified as a, Seventh-day Adventist again. Hmm. Well, you're maturing now. I mean, you're getting past these young 20, 20s and you're maturing into your mid-20s or something like that. You didn't see yourself as an Adventist. It, it yeah. seems like your identity was kind of ambiguous. It was just like, I mean, am I wrong about that? No, like I didn't have an identity. Like I, I have, I had beliefs, but I still didn't know who I was, where I fit. Cause again, the older I got, the more there was like this noticeable difference in the family that I grew up in, where I felt like even more and more every day, like I didn't belong. I didn't belong in the church that I went to because I had different ideas. I didn't belong in really in church probably at all because of the things that I was doing and some of the things that the decisions that I made, I, I didn't have a space. Hmm. 
So then keep going. So about that time is when I met Matt and we, I think it was like, what, maybe a year and a half from the time we started dating until the time we got married. So it wasn't very long at all, but he was one too, like, wasn't actually, you know, more of the bad Venice category than the mm -hmm. Adventist category and having kids. And I mean, we were just doing the grown up thing. Uh, or just kids having thought kids. Was the grown up. I mean, really, that's what it was. Uh, we didn't even really start going to church on a regular basis until until Morgan was born, until our first son was born. And uh, you know what? That's what yeah. brings people back. For some reason, you know, you grow up, you go to church, your family takes you to church, you end up going to Adventist school. You you may look at it weird. You get sent to Adventist college. You graduate and you're like, I'm done. I've been to enough Vespers for 30 lifetimes and you're done. <laughs> and then you have a kid and there's something in you that you're like, I don't know what I believe, but I know that it's important for my child to believe something in Jesus, to believe about Jesus. And so you see a lot of young families start to come back. And this, I could see this when I was working at a college that, you know, I'd worked at a, I worked at a college for nine years by the seventh, eighth, ninth year, you, you start seeing people come back to, to church and they, because they have their kids, they're taking them to the cradle roll. And there's something you're like, I don't even, I don't know how I can put a finger on this, but I think it's important that we're here. Yeah. And they don't even, they, maybe they don't stick around for the service, but they do want their kids to be in Sabbath school. I know when he was born, like I was all in, I was going to be a good Christian mama. And I ended up teaching. Why, Why was that important? Why was that important? I don't know because that's what you do. <laughs> I don't know. I have no rhyme or reason for it, but that's what I did. I led crater roll and did the church thing. Because there's something about it that you know it's important. We don't know why, even if we're living, if if there's deception, and I I have to believe it's that the Holy Spirit. Is working on us. There's, there's something important, even though our lives haven't matched up. You know, like, man, this is it's got to be something here. And that's kind of how it felt. Like he was born, and then like a light switch came on. I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to get it together now. Back to church we go. And and it's, I mean, it it worked. I think like that's what was needed. I do. I feel like having kids actually saved my life. Like it, it got me back to, to probably where I should have been, maybe not should have been. That's not fair either. Cause the journey is the journey, but it felt like things were starting to make sense. Okay. We're going to take a break right now. And I want to uh, tell you about the other Bible studies that we got going on. And if you can't make the debt to life Bible study, listen, I get it. But we've got more options for you. If you want to text hashtag find out to the 808-204-4372 number, we're going to send you a list of our Bible studies. And you can hashtag find out which one fits for your schedule. And uh, you can be blessed by one of the many Bible studies that we have throughout the week. I host a few of them, but I go to the ones that I'm not even hosting because I'm a gospel junkie and I don't forsake the gathering of the saints. So like I said, 
hashtag find out to 808-204-4372. Let's get uh, back into the podcast. You know, maybe the world that had been so chaotic for for so long started to feel good again. Hmm. And with our kids are less than two years apart. So it was like a lot of mom, a lot of kid very quickly. It, it doesn't seem like, and you tell me if I'm wrong from how I'm hearing your story. Like when I say, how did God feel about you? And you're, you're like, I don't really know if I thought about it too much. As you're coming back to the church and you're teaching cradle roll and your children are growing. What is this image of God? Is, is he still like you used to, Jesus was the man. And now all of this stuff, what's this picture of God in your mind as you're coming back? I, I looked at it, I looked at God as, I mean, I was forgiven because the Bible said so, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus loves me, this I know, all that kind of stuff, like everything that you learn in, in Creator World that's supposed to provide you with the information you need for the rest of your life. I knew it, but I had never experienced it. Hmm. Like I was able to put the past behind me, move on, recognize that that's gone. That's not who I am. But you, I would have these moments of like remembrance and struggling with just not, not feeling enough Hmm. as a mom which I've heard many women come on, many moms come on the podcast before. And that is a a pretty consistent theme, it seems, like from moms, like not feeling like you could ever be a good mom. Yeah, Brene Brown is on it. She When she talks about shame, she talks about how women are shamed by their body image and how they are mothering. And... I don't think Brene Brown, I think she's just recognized how the enemy is attacked. I don't think she understands that it's the enemy, but it is, it's crazy about, it's these things that that, that are insecurities that the enemy's just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to lie about this to you and make you feel this certain way about yourself. And then you're going to feel like trash and then you can't even love. And that's, that's exactly what, what happened. <laughs> you know, you don't have an identity. What do you live by? So how, you were living by how well you were be, performing. Were you, did you become obsessed with be, like all the research and becoming the greatest mother based on how the world sees a mother or like, what was the strategy? So I think definitely with the first one. I mean, I read the book, what to expect when you're expecting. And I would read it each time, you know, you passed a mark and, and knowing no TV and no, whatever they were saying, you know, it changes on a year to year basis, but whatever they were saying at the time, I was like, I'm going to follow this. I'm Mm -hmm. definitely, I'm going to do this. I read to him every night. Like I would read to him while I was pregnant, like all the things. But let me tell you, Richard, when you have two kids under two, you go into survival mode. Like it is no longer trying to be the world's best mom. It's trying to keep people alive. (laughs) 
That's all it is. I was looking at the end of the day, if they were alive and I was alive, it was a great day. I had a routine that was to the minute with Nola. And when we had Nola, Natalie was still, she was, we were living in Lincoln and she worked at the heart hospital. And so, um, we had, uh, we took her to a lady who was a wonderful lady across the street. But when the weekends came and when I picked her up after work, I had a routine that I followed to a T and that is the reason why Nola is alive today. Because if it would have just been like, <laughs> here she is, figure it out. I'd, but I had wake up at this time, nap right here, feed here. I don't know what the flip would have happened if I wouldn't have had that, especially on if Natalie was working Sabbath or Sunday, like if I didn't have that routine, because my whole thing was like, I just got to keep her alive for a couple years here. <laughs> and that's what it is. And it was, it was, it was crazy. And she's still alive. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's how I, now that they're 12 and 14, it's like, okay, all right. I, I did this. Like they're alive. <laughs> it's okay. But it was and now hard. it's going to get harder because they're, they're teenagers. Ah, uh, there's a whole different set of issues there, yeah, but yeah. it's, it's a good, it was just, it was survival mode. That was right. the best way to describe that time. Um, and there were more reasons to it. I married someone who has active, was in active addiction for most of our marriage. He is no longer, he's in recovery. Um, but that played a part because he had his thing going on. And then I, he would work 60 hours a week when they were really little until the time we moved from uh, Durham to Hendersonville. He would work about 60 hours a week. I was working night as a nurse. So I would maybe sleep two hours before my first shift, work all night, get off in the morning, maybe sleep a couple hours, go and work another night and then sleep a couple hours and then be up with the kids the rest of the day. And it was very hard. It was not good. Richard, it was not good. It was not healthy in any way. And were you just it, heavily caffeinated? Like how how are you able to function? You don't. Like you don't. And so that's when you, that's when the well maybe they can just sit in front of the TV a minute and that you know the things that you're not supposed to do as a good mom, you start like doing because there's no other way because if I do not just take a nap right now, I'm going to I'm going to explode. So that was really, that was rough. That was a really, a really rough time. Um, and then I actually had to have open heart when our youngest was 15 months old and uh, again, couldn't lift her for six months, couldn't do anything. And so that, that was a very rough time, a very rough time in our marriage and who I looked at myself and I thought I was going to die. I was sure of it. Like I was sure that, I wasn't going to make it outside of the the open heart and that was going to be the end of it. Had to write my, or actually I didn't write, I did videos for the kids. So yeah, it was just stressful. It was, their littleness was, was stressful. I, I worked with this lady at Amazon who lived, I think an hour away and this is the night shift and she had kids and she would watch her kids all day. And then she would drive an hour to Amazon, work the night shift, drive an hour back, watch her kids. And she couldn't make, she didn't work there longer than two weeks because 
I was like, you're going to die. Like you're literally, you, you're, you can't make it. And shout out to people who work the night shift, but it is not good for you. It is Mm-mm. not good for you to work the night shift. There was a lady I worked with who told me she hadn't drank water, water in three years. <laughs> I was like, what? She was like, yeah, I just drink Mountain Dew. And I, and she's like, and my doctor said I'm fine. I'm like, he lied. And, and she, she, she looked, she looked like she was about to fall apart. Like she was gaunt. Her cheeks were struggling. And I was like, your, your organs are crying. They want water so badly. And like just the habits that you get. So I, I don't, you know, praise God that you were able to, to work nights, have heart, heart surgery. And and make it through, and I, you know, sometimes you're like, I don't know how we did, how we did it, but it's by God's grace, I'm sure. Only, I mean, there's no other explanation. So, but when we were in Durham, I started like pointing out to Matt, like, dude, I think there's an issue, and uh, so we ended up moving because my mom was retiring from the GC finally to Hendersonville, and so we moved this way, and. You know, the problem with addiction is that it's so easy to replace one thing for another. Hmm. And that led that led our family into some some trying times. But and, you know, maybe one day you get his story. I don't want to give his testimony. But for me and how it affected me was very much like, okay, so. I'm not going to be able to be a good mom. Well, one, I'm tired and I'm yelling at my kids all the time. And then I'm not enough for my husband. And he's having to get his fulfillment Mm -hmm. from a substance. Mm -hmm. And having lifelong anxiety and just, it kind of came to a head, um, it was probably, uh, what was it, like seven years ago, I guess. I can't add. It's bad. In 2019. 2019? Was, Three years ago? No, it wasn't 19. 2017. Okay, five years ago. Five years ago. I told you I can't add. Close they enough. Gave me, they gave me a <laughs> master's degree. Isn't that sad? Hey. Uh, can't, I have to use my fingers, and I still was Cindy, able to get one of those. Look up Cindy if you ever need uh... <laughs> Medical <laughs> medical care in the North Carolina area. No, I'm, I'm so great at what I do, I promise. In 2017, what happened? Yeah, so Matt actually was going to take the kids to go pick something up and got pulled over for speeding. Uh-huh. If only it were that simple, right? Like to get pulled over for speeding. He was actually, they smelled alcohol on him mm-hmm. and he ended up getting taken to the lovely law enforcement officers of the Henderson County jail. Mm -hmm. And so our kids are seeing their dad taken away in handcuffs. And I get the call from my mom that she had to pick up the kids and this is what was going on. And that's when I was like, this is it. Like Mm -hmm. my life, has completely fallen apart. Like I've done all these things trying to get it together. Like I've, I've been a part of church now and I haven't like, I've done all the right things. Like, how are we at this moment right here where I'm about to lose absolutely everything. Mm. And since then, like, it's like every, every year that passed, 
I felt God telling me, calling me a little bit more. Hmm. Um, in through that situation, just like, don't give up. I've got this. And hmm. being introduced to different speakers, uh, Lisa Turkhurst and Lisa Harper and going to, you know, some of the Lifeway Women events and certain songs that came on the radio, different people in church that that I've met and have been able to kind of shepherd my heart through these hard times and letting me know, letting me see the love of God in the people that say they belong to him. Mm. Praise the Lord. Because that, that's hard, Richard, when your life like is just taken away. I mean, it really felt like a death like a morning of what my life was supposed to be. And unfortunately, because of the way I, I think the Adventist church looks at addiction, addiction is greater than like, it's one of on the hierarchy of sins. It's pretty high at the top. What do you mean? Just well, uh, like when we're talking about alcoholism or if we're talking about pornography or if we're talking about like, the way that our mind gets changed and, and ruts and now like it always goes to this area. Like, what do you mean? Well, just in like, you know, the things that people don't want to talk about, like you don't talk about when people are cheating, right? Like if they're having an affair, it's a, you know, gossip kind of situation, sure, but nobody yeah, yeah. talks about it. Right. And it's the same thing. Like, so something that we came, unfortunately, Matt did really well, and then he ended up relapsing because statistically with substance use, that's what unfortunately happens. Mm -hmm. uh, but we come to this point, and he's told that he can't teach Sabbath school anymore, and he can't, you know, do certain things, and they can't look at him as deacon, and they can't look. But yet you look at someone else who maybe has an anger issue or has a judgment issue, but because it's an outward thing, and God forbid, you know, you you have a substance use issue. I don't know how better to explain it, that it just, oh, you're meaning it's outward. We don't look, we look at these sins that are like visible that affect yeah, you every yeah, day. Yeah. 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 Okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah. We get weird. We, we yeah. get weird because w what matters is this is the thing about Jesus. He's like, I need an actual heart change from you. And he says it to people, he says it on the Sermon on the Mount, to people who cannot, like you cannot do heart surgery on yourself. You just can't. You can't give yourself a new heart. You can't work hard enough. And Jesus is making this point like, yeah, this is what I need from you. I need you to forgive from your heart. I need, like, I need, that's what I need. So you're set up in a position by Jesus like, well, I can't do it. Mm. And that's the whole purpose is for him to be like, I know that's why I've done it. Like you need to take my yoke. Like my burden is light. I've given you this thing. And so we don't look at it that way. We just look at sin on, on its face and we're like, well, there's this sin and then there's this sin and then there, there's this sin. And well, if it embarrasses the, the body, then we've got to really do something about it. And that was out in the open. And so it embarrassed the body. And so if it's done in public, we have to do discipline in public. And because we don't really understand the gospel, it doesn't, it's not restorative. 
it just kind of, it's the same thing from high school where they're like, you're not, you can't do this because you'll never be like this. And then we get surprised when people are like, I'm tired of this. And that's what happened. Like, that's exactly what happened. We made it through the first time when he was arrested and it's only God's grace. Like it, it really is that, that we didn't end up in divorce court. Like it, it's amazing to me because I was mad, like, and rightfully so, like I was angry, something fierce, but the love and the restoration that came after that, like our marriage was never that as great as like the restoration that was given after that event. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it did happen again, not the, the DUI, but like the, the relapse, but to have God do that again, Mm. it really just, God has spoken to me so much through my husband and being able to see what it is that love Mm. and how he does come after. And that's how I feel like he has been through me this entire, like my entire life. Like my, my story is a 40 year long love story Hmm. of somebody who completely walks away multiple times is, is in a constant state of mistaken or lost identity who God is just there like right next to the entire time. Like, I don't look at this, this idea, oh, it used to like upset me so bad. One of the things that I was taught on how God doesn't go into movie theaters and bars and things of that nature. (laughs) And I call horse manure on that because that's when you need him most. That's where he's going to be. There's this thing that Jesus says, and we don't really believe him, but he says, if you come to me, I'll never cast you out. And we're like, well, unless you go into a billiards hall. <laughs> or a movie theater. <laughs> or a bowling alley, or if you buy a bicycle. And if, if you're on the inside, you guys know what I'm making a joke about. But yeah, Jesus is like, I will never cast you out. And yet we get questions all of the time from people who are like, will God forgive me if I've committed a known sin? Yes. Every single time he will. Yeah. And it's crazy that if you know the gospel, you become a friend of people who are are outside, who are suffering and struggling, and they become your friends because that's what Jesus did. Like Jesus, Jesus kicked it. He wasn't kicking it with the Pharisees. No. He was kicking it with the people that knew they needed something else. And sometimes we really don't. Sometimes we really don't get this thing. Well, and see, I always knew that I was broken, if you will. Like, Mm -hmm. I always had that sense, not always, but for a long time, I would say for the majority of life, I felt like there was something innately wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why I didn't fit in that. Maybe that's why, I don't know if I could never feel loved or exactly what, what it was. But having that, those are the people that accept you. 
right? Like those are the people that typically accept people because they recognize that they're broken too and there's nothing to hide and you're all on a level playing ground. Yeah. And I love that. I love that about about people that you wouldn't expect greatness from. I was actually just reading the in first Corinthians this afternoon and it was it was chapter one. I don't remember the verses, but talking about essentially how he took something that you wouldn't expect, right? Like he he hmm. didn't start with the wise men. He didn't start with the the well-known religious leaders, scholars, whatever. He started with with the shepherds. Mm. who were out and nobody thought twice about, right? Like they were completely like rejects. And then he starts his ministry and he doesn't go to the people you would think he would go to political support and such. Like he goes to fishermen again, like pretty low in, Mm. in the what hierarchical hierarchical status, whatever it's called of, of that time. It's really and I feel like that's what he's done kingdom. with me. It is. Yeah. And it's when you see that and see the the beauty of that and over again over since 2017 all these things that have been changing every year maybe a little bit something different feeling more and more passionate about those that recognize that there's something that they're that they've been lost. Hmm. And I don't think that you have to go out and be be the prodigal son to recognize your lost, right? Because the older brother stayed at home, did what was expected of him, and he was still lost. Right. But to recognize that and recognize what did it for me and brought me to where I'm at now is in the spring when a mutual friend of ours said, Hey, listen to this, listen to this podcast. I'm like, well, tell me about it. Cause I don't listen to podcasts cause ain't nobody got time for that. And just in listening to the podcast. And what episode did you listen to first? First Morgan, Natalie and BB. And I mean, I was pretty like, okay, I've misunderstood everything by the time I got to, to Natalie's like Natalie really, it, it rocked my heart. You didn't listen to to Tyler. Like you just jumped right to Morgan's or you didn't even know the background or anything. No, mm -mm. no. Cause I asked our friend, I said, where, where should I start? And she actually told me to start with Morgan. So I started with Morgan, went to Natalie and then came across, I think there were a couple that I was just kind of like, okay, that that's nice. But then got to BB's and I was wrecked, absolutely hands down, sobbing in my car, like unable to function with the realization that I finally had an identity. Hmm. You said when you got to Natalie's, things had gotten flipped. What was what was what was being closely looked at? Like, wait, hold up, what like? what have I been thinking about this? Like what was changing? A lot of it was just, and I wish my memory were better. I really do. I wouldn't think that it would be so, so bad when it wasn't that long ago, but I remember just feeling like, 
I don't know, Richard. There was just so many feelings. There were just so many feelings and so much of what I got of thinking I was one way and then not. It's, she just really spoke to, to my soul and having the broken family and all those things. So, yeah, it was just, I felt like I could relate to Natalie on, on different levels from the family situation, the maybe not making great decisions, wanting to do better, not being able to do better. I almost don't like giving it like what I thought her story was, because maybe I misunderstood it and I don't (laughs) I don't want to put something uh, on it that's not there either. No, I think you. I think you understood. I think you understood it real well. Yeah, because if if you haven't heard Natalie's episode, I think she's episode twenty one, and her house burns down when she's like in the fifth grade or something like that, and ends up making pretty tough life choices. So you're just yeah. When somebody recommends a podcast, I roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, cool. But pretty soon you were seeing that there might be something different. Was the identity thing then the main aspect of you're like, oh, our identity isn't this thing that I thought, like the whole world says we're sinners. Was it, oh, I don't know if we really flesh out free from sin in some of those early episodes and really hammer it, or like what theology was also kind of, were you taking a look at Hmm, such a good question. I th- it was so much at one time. So yeah, identity was a big a big part of it. But there was also this kind of inside rejoicing of, ha, I got it right. Like I knew something was missing. Like mm. I knew something was missing and something didn't make sense in high school and through my 20s. And that like there was, there was something it wasn't just about the clothes you wore or the decisions that you made or didn't make or whatever it would be. Like there was something, there was something greater that the gospel was more than what day you went to church or the state of the dead or whether you eat fried chicken haystacks on Sabbath afternoon or not. Like it, it was supposed to be life changing. Wow. If you hear the gospel and you walk away and you're believing that there's something missing, that it's not good enough to change what's going on, then you're probably right. You haven't heard the whole thing yet. You probably haven't heard the actual gospel. You've heard... I don't want to say anything terrible. You've you've heard the okay news that says... Because Jesus loves you, you should try really hard. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus loves you, he loves you enough to for you to sacrifice these things in your life. Like that is not that is not the gospel. The gospel isn't Jesus has done enough. Will you will you sacrifice now because he sacrificed for you? It's not passive aggressive. And I I think about, like, people that use fear or hell 
or losing it to keep people walking. And that is just, none of it is the gospel. All of it is just fake news out of fear to keep people acting right. Yeah. Rather than giving them the news that their lives are able to be transformed if they'll believe. Yeah, I I feel like I've just been this weird kind of mix of stuff that just doesn't make sense. I am that walk, walking contradiction because in when I came back and started doing like the church thing again, I don't ever remember feeling like my salvation was questioned. Hmm. Like it wasn't like I had accepted Christ, I was baptized whenever, what is it? How old do they make 11? I think, right. Isn't that what they say you should probably be whenever that was, that's when I was baptized. And I knew like that God says he wants me there. So I'm going to be there, but it's almost like, what's my quality of life going to be between now and then? Hmm. Like I never questioned salvation. So it just doesn't make sense. My story does not make sense. There was a lot going on in my head a lot of the time in many different directions, and I felt pulled constantly. Hmm. So after listening to a few episodes of the podcast, and you're like getting a revelation of like, oh, I knew there was something missing, and this seems to be the missing link here. What what did you do next? What 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 were you thinking? Were you what was the plan? I mean, it's a piece. Like that's what I've been able to experience. But I guess so. Listen to a couple of episodes, and then the same person was like, "Hey, check out Wave One," and so I did that. And we actually did it for worship every night as a family. And I was hyped. Like everyone, I was like, "Say what." what? Like how I read the Bible. I read these, these same passages multiple times. How did I miss this? How did I miss what it's saying now? And I think the big thing that stuck out to me is the fact that this is not something that one day is going to occur, right? Like being able to experience the love and the peace is now and looking back and having things that I've been sorry for, but maybe it's weeks, months, years, and then feeling like guilt and like, oh no, if I could only do that, you know, go back and maybe, you know, maybe I didn't pray hard enough for it. And the same thing with, with the kids, could I have been a better mother? Could we have done things differently? Like, are they going to be able to be saved? Like essentially owning my family's salvation, you know, different things of that nature, And just being able to put it at rest and being like, you know, this is not to recognize the lies and to recognize that now the intrusive thoughts, the doubt, the, the saying that I will never be anything. I'm not enough because I'm not enough. My kids aren't enough was never mine to own Hmm. that it's from an outside source that has been trying to ruin my life, my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. That's what hit. (laughs) 
There's this crazy idea, and I know I've talked about it on this podcast before, but that you're being tempted from who you actually are. So who you actually are, let's say you're tempted to to look at stuff you shouldn't look at on, on the World Wide Web. That's the truth of who you are. Like you are a lustful person. Why? Because you've got this thing called a quote-unquote sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And what God did was just like forgive you and then give you the ability to try really hard. But because you have a sinful nature, this is who you are. Of course, they wouldn't say it like this. But if you follow this argument down to to where it ends, it's you yourself are the thing. You're the problem. And if you live how who you actually are, sin will have to manifest because you're you sinful nature. You don't have a choice. You like, this is you. This is the same reason why people end up doing this stuff because they're like, this is who I am. You're in high school. And they say, I heard that you slept with this guy and you didn't. And you're like, well, if this is what you guys really believe about me, then I'm going to do it. And you end up like Morgan mm-hmm. or you end up like Cindy who are like, Oh, you'll never be a good kid. Oh, really? That's what you think about me? And then you become that, you fulfill that prophecy. And people speak death over you. The enemy speaks death over you. People in your life speak death over you. And you believe it. And then someone, sometime you hear this thing, you're like, oh, I'm not that thing. What hope that you can actually be a thing that he has made. So when that hit where you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not this powerful feeling that I had. There's something much deeper about me that I haven't even gotten to because the feelings have been so powerful. Like that was freeing for you then. Yeah. And I hadn't even, I thought about it like that, like with the feelings, but you're right. (laughs) I had, I had been run by, by a lot of feelings. I'm an empath and Enneagram four. So I'm all about the feelings and my life had been run by, by the feelings. Look at you. It's like you're a psychiatrist or something, Richard, working it out uh, here on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause the feelings are powerful. Yeah. Well, I say this all the time now, like uh, your whole thing, feelings aren't Lord Jesus's. I have to tell myself that. Cause I will like start to spiral quick and it's just like, no, these are just feelings. This is, this is going to pass. This is not truth. What is truth in this moment? What do I know to be true? And that's, that's what, that's what we need. And I, I really, I want people who, who listen or to even more than that, who deal with me on a regular basis to be able to see the difference that truth makes. Hmm. When I, uh, I forget when I got down there the first time. I don't know what time is it. I don't think it was, it was last this spring. Year. It was last spring. Uh-huh. So it's been like a year and a half. Not probably. even. Or no. just a half of it. Or it was just a Honey, half of it. It was this last spring. Yeah. Are you sure? It was 2022. 
I would, yes, because I gave my testimony at church this past Easter and you had just been down like right before that. Man, I thought it was longer. Okay. So when I'm there, you and your husband were marked in my mind. There was a guy sitting in the back mm-hmm. and I, he was marked in my mind. And then you guys were sitting over here to my left. And then there was obviously some friends of mine that were there that I was, you know, but you sitting over to my left, you and your husband were, were, were really marked. And I was like, man, and I don't know if we talked that night, but it was the next night where I was like, I really want to talk to her. And I felt like you knew that and you did not want to talk to me. I just felt like, t- talk me through that. Like you've been hearing the podcast. I don't know if you've watched, had watched wave one before I showed up or when I'm there and I'm just I don't think I said anything new. I'm just going, preaching it. And I think there's something different about hearing somebody in person preaching rather than just seeing the internet or something. What were you thinking and and how was it hitting you? And what what was the tension there? I mean, it was good. I... I haven't found anything like I disagreed with. I I thought that the weekend was very powerful and it's caused, as you know, shaking in our community. Like this last year, there's been a lot of ground shaking. No, I, I was vibing with it. But when you started to walk over towards me, I did do a couple like, please know Jesus. This evil man <laughs> Not this who just evil wants man. to ask me some questions I don't want to answer. So... I don't even know if it's a matter of not wanting to answer it. There could have been maybe still some, I don't know, embarrassment or just uncertainty of how, how is, how are my reactions going to be in this newfound freedom that has been given? Like, I, I don't like being the center of attention. And of course, like that's, that's kind of how things, I don't know if you remember this, but we were sitting around the fire mm-hmm. and everyone's talking. There's a lot of these side conversations. And the minute you turn to me and you ask a question, it was like silence. I do remember that. I was, I, I didn't want that to happen, but I was, cause I knew you were pretty, it seemed like you were pretty shy. And wouldn't you know, that's exactly how it worked out. <laughs> and all eyeballs are looking at me. And do you I know what I asked you? I don't remember. I'm trying to remember. You probably asked me how I was vibing with it. I think that's uh-huh. what you asked. I can't remember what what I answered because, of course, I went like probably all mm. shades of Casper White and mm. nearly died a little bit inside. Probably just a small panic attack, maybe a stroke simultaneously. It was fine. But I did appreciate because then we talked in the, later mm-hmm. and I had questions and you you gave me words of wisdom in knowing that i'll just say people around me not make it specific but that god loves them and it's not my job to save people it's not my job to like stress over someone else's salvation that it's going to be okay because god loves these people who are walking in his ways, even if it doesn't look maybe the way I want it to look. And that was very, that's exactly what I needed right then. Exactly. Mm. I think the thing is 
when we get to these things, and I think you've seen it, and I think you probably are doing it now, and you might not even know it, is that you see people for who they actually are, even if they don't know it. Because you know who you are now. And before you didn't know who you were. But now you've been settled and that's like foundational. Like I'm a daughter or I'm a son, like period, point blank. Like that's my identity. And everything I operate out of is from that space. And so then you see someone who doesn't know it. And they've been working really hard. And they're tired. And all you want for them is to be able to rest. Like there's this guy who tries to argue with me on the internet all the time. And I know something's going on with him and it's probably pornography just cause that's, that's how it usually is. And the other day I, I, I messaged him and I'm just like, bro, here, my heart, man, like, can I, can I study the Bible with you? Can we just spend some time together? And he brushed me off and that's fine. I just, I just, I sow seed and if it doesn't, happen. It doesn't happen. I'm not going to take it personally, but it's just like, I want you to know who you are. And one of the ways that you can know who you are is if I see it in you when you don't see it and I can point it out and I could say, this is how I know your heart is qualified. This is how I know that you've been changed. You might not know it because you're still feeling this certain way, but I know you. It's just like the dean told you, this is not you. And that's the problem with the gospel if we don't, if we're preaching this weird stuff, like sinful nature and all of this stuff, is that in order to follow Christ, you cannot be yourself. Where the actual gospel is you have died with Christ and you have resurrected with him. Now you and him are united in a way that cannot be separated. Like, you are in him, and he is in you. So the more you are of yourself, the more you are like Christ, because Christ in you is the hope of glory. You are in him. He is in you. And we we don't understand that, and so we're, we get really weird. But you, the more you are yourself, Cindy, the more you shine. Like, mm-hmm. you... Like, you have to be yourself because the truest thing about you is that Christ is in you. That's truer than whatever lie came down from the enemy. Uh, I mean, do you resonate with that where, where now you look at people like at, at your job or you when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, well, this character is getting into this situation because they don't know who they are in Christ. <laughs> I think I always had like a little bit of that because that's what started actually getting me in trouble many years ago in high school is that I could hang out with the kids who might not have been making great decisions, but I saw who they were. Like, so I feel like there's been some of that, but it's more now, especially in the work that I do for those out in the world. Uh, I'm a nurse practitioner in addiction medicine and recovery. And these people, they don't know who they are. They're addicts. Like to by all of any account, like they would all identify as addicts. They need to know that they are loved. And to now be able to, since receiving this message, I, I go and every opportunity that I get, I tell my client that 
they're more than this. They were made for more than this, that this does not define who they are. Hoping that it's planting these powerful seeds that the spirit will continue to grow and giving them hope that they were created for something more than the way that they're currently living their life. And I really think that that's what we all need. I mean, that's, that's what I needed back in the day. And that's still, that's what I need. That's what keeps me going now is to know who I am and that I'm not who the enemy says. And I'm very sensitive to what I think people think about me. And to recognize that's not my problem either. Like, even if they think something, even if it's real, nobody but my father can define me. Hmm. And there's a power that comes in that. And you can hold your head a little bit higher and you can carry out your, your day with a little bit more confidence, knowing that this world doesn't really have any, any control over me. Unless I allow it to. That's so powerful. Praise the Lord that you are out there um, speaking life. And maybe you don't use the name of Jesus. But, yeah, you are not. Dan Muller says we cannot run the risk of identifying ourselves in anything but Christ. We cannot run the risk. And for you to see these beautiful people who have fallen into addiction, for you to see them, that they are beautiful people, that they were made in God's image and God's image is love. And that was lost, but Christ has come to restore that which was lost. So they can see themselves back in that image that they were created to be loved and to love where they just see themselves as, hi, I'm Richard and I'm an alcoholic or hi, I'm, you know, that's, that's the identity that they've carried. And we can say, no, like that may be your circumstance right now, but that's not what you were created for. And because of Jesus, like he's come to save that, which was lost. And you have it now, my bro, like he's, he's given it to you. Open your hands. And, and receive this thing. How powerful is that? And so as you've been going on with this thing, what is becoming more and more, more foundational? And in other words, what, what do you know for sure about Cindy? What do you know for sure? Mm, I'm loved. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And I'm not a mistake. Me being alive very much intentional. It might have surprised my biological parents, but I was not a surprise to God. He he formed me, he knew me, and he wanted me here and I'm going to do something for him. Is is the gospel better than you thought it was? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I used to like think about the Fox's book of martyrs and, you know, all the, and wanting so desperately to like be one of those people who would sing praises to God until their voice boxes were consumed. But how, right? Like, how does somebody do that? This, this message, the gospel, the love of Christ, that's how somebody does it. This dude messaged me and he said, 
I hear what you're saying, but I I still think that you should never be assured of your salvation. This mm. is what he actually said. You think these cats that were martyred, that are being burned and they're singing hymns, you think they had any any trepidation or any worry that they were going to be, that they had Jesus? No doubt. They had no doubt in their mind. And it's not humility to have a doubt in your mind that God loves you and has given himself to you through Jesus. That is not humility. And so, yeah, now, like, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we can die. He says, I die daily, or I die every day. Meaning, we know we're going to be resurrected. Are we going to die anytime soon? No. We're not going to die anytime soon. Not, I'm not even talking about our sleep, as if we'll sleep in Christ. we got a long ways to go, and this message has got a lot more people that it needs to hit. And you are a minister of the gospel, and so am I. And so we're not worried about any of that. But we know even if it came down to it, we can be just like those martyrs and not be worried one single thing, that we have him and he has us. I feel like that's good news. That's great news. What would you tell to old Cindy there at that Highland View Tartan? And you're the second Tartan we've interviewed on the Death Alive podcast. What would you tell Cindy your senior year if you were to get able to grab that girl right after coming out of that dude's office or that, I don't know what kind of, I'm not going to, whatever, whatever <laughs> that person said, if you were able to grab her and say, hey, 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 I got to tell you something. What would you tell that girl? You are a Jesus girl. He's already paid the price for you. You don't have to prove anything. You're exactly who your father says you are. Praise the Lord. Thanks for coming on the Death to Life podcast, Cindy. Thanks, Richard. It's only you, it's only me. Waking up to memory. Your love is all I need. Only me waking up to no memory. Your love is all I need. I feel it. You give me life. Give me life. I feel it. You give me.